grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey everyone, how's everybody doing? Happy Wednesday. It's hump day, right? Is that what you call it? Hump day? My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We are 45 strong up and down the state, which means if you have a paranormal need or you think you have a paranormal need, we can get to you. It might take us a while. California is this huge state. You know, a lot of people think of California, they think of Hawaii because it's surfing and all that. It is. It is like that down towards south. Okay, because because it's it's warmer there. The water is warmer, a little warmer. But when you go, when you start going up north, and you start seeing people in wetsuits and whatnot, but it's still pretty, it's still surfing up north. But uh, we do do that, just like just like Hawaii. However, we also have inland areas that have a lot of farmland. We have high desert. We have low desert. We have mountains. Lots of mountain ranges. Lots of places to hike, lots of woods, and uh, we've also got a lot of rural, you know, farmland plus rural areas that people live in. So, like I said, it might take us a couple days to get to you, but we will. You know, we've got, like I said, we've got people up and down the state. And in the case that we can't get you right away, what do we do? We have psychics on staff who can phone you and talk to you about what may or may not be going on in your home or place of business. And in, in, in a lot of cases, if there is something going on, they can calm it down you know, for you so that by the time we get out there, we can get out there and do what we need to do. That way you don't have to stress. But it never takes us more than two days, two, two to three days to get out to you. So just to let you know. Welcome. You can see I got my pumpkins back here. They're all lit up and ready to go. You know, I'm having fun with Halloween, starting in Halloween. I hope you are too. Hope you are too. Uh, normally we would be hosting a bunch of events this time of year, the team would, but uh, we're, we're we're kind of taking a step back this year, but we'll definitely be back next year doing that stuff. So you guys can look off for some ghost tours and things like that. All right. That being said, if you're watching from Facebook today, a lot of you are, and you like what you see in here, please be sure to hit that follow button. If you haven't done so already, uh, it's free. You know, that's that will let you know when we have videos and stuff coming out, especially this show. Also, if you are watching from Facebook, show us some love, give us some thumbs up. If you, you know, if you like what you see today, give us some thumbs up and some happy faces or hearts. And comment. You feel free to comment in the chat room because what that does is that makes that triggers Facebook's computers, master computers, and that puts us in the, up in the FYP, and so it gets us out to more places and more people. Okay. Also, if you like what you see, share us. Share us. Yeah. If you got somebody in the house, you know, hey, there's this little, there's this little show out there I want to show you. It's that easy. But yeah, hit hit that share button. We're always looking for more followers. Same thing with YouTube. If you go over to YouTube, if you're watching from YouTube, you know, give us some thumbs up, show us some love and all that. Same thing with, with commenting because YouTube sees that and same same process with DFYP. All right. So, yeah. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. It doesn't cost anything. I've got a subscription goal. I would like the greatest Christmas present in the world would be to hit that thousand subscriber mark on YouTube. If you guys could do that for me, I mean, that would be so cool. 
totally cool. So you can tell I'm from California, right? Totally cool. So yeah, so that would be great to hit that subscriber mark. And it doesn't cost anything to subscribe. In fact, if you subscribe or even now, check out the site first if, if you're kind of backpedaling about subscribing. Because if you if you take a look at it, there's more than 794 videos over there, all of this show. And uh, there's every topic you can think of paranormal and non-paranormal, because I'm, I'm, you know, my, my real job is newspaper reporter and press photographer. That's what I do, right? But and that, and, and that being said, tomorrow's guest reflects that, because it, that's a totally non-paranormal topic tomorrow that we'll get into later. But, yeah, check, check it out. And, you know, it's overwhelming. When, when you get on the front page and you're looking at our videos, it's overwhelming. It gives me a headache. I've started to put things into files under, under category. So, like, our, our guest tonight, you know, I, I will put him under the UFO alien files, alien abduction files. Nancy Matz has her own file. Um, you know, you, you can find everything under different topics to make it a lot easier to, to find these videos because it can get overwhelming and your eyes will cross and all that stuff. So, yeah, just check it out. And if you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe and share us, you know. I have people who listen to the show and they do their laundry. They're, they're carrying me in their pocket, right? They're walking through their house. So they're doing their laundry and stuff. So, yeah, so we're just looking to share the show around and get the word out, right? Okay. All right. That being said, we are broadcasting tonight from YouTube. YouTube, And you can find our group uh, on Facebook under California Haunts Radio, California Haunts, or my name. You can find us over at Instagram under Ghosty Gal. That's all lowercase. You can find us over at TikTok under California Haunts. We're on Twitter under California Haunts. And we are on Twitch as Cal Haunts. And we are also on Threads. We're over at Threads. So we're all over the place. And YouTube. That's YouTube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. Okay. Now, tonight's show, I'm really excited to have this gentleman on, uh, Professor Kevin Newth. I hope I said his name right. Last names. Uh, because I am really into UFO, U UAPs, UFOs, however you want to call it. And I'm fascinated by the technology that they use. You know, I'm fascinated. I've seen a, a few things in my life. And I've seen how I've seen things shoot straight up in the sky and disappear. I've seen things shoot, you know, horizontally and disappear. And the, the trying to figure out the tech they're using fascinates me. I mean, I'm like everybody else. I watch Star Wars. I watch Star Trek. So, you know, it's always a buzz to, to, to think, well, maybe there is something like warp drive out there. Which there probably is. Whoops, sorry about that. But I'm just saying, you know. So my guest tonight is going to be talking UFO tech, and I'm really excited. So I want to go ahead and bring him in, and we can get the show on the road, okay? Here we go. Good evening, sir. Good evening. How are you? Thank you for having me, Charlotte. I'm really excited to have you on. Great. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Tell me about you, sir. I'm a physics professor at the University at Albany in Albany, New York, and um, my research as a physicist is comprised mainly of studying exoplanets, planets orbiting other stars. Uh -huh. We work to detect, um, work on ways to detect um, planets around other stars and characterize them, and um, so that that's a good bit of what I do, and um, I'm also... I also do some theoretical work, so I do some theoretic work in quantum information as well, and the trying to understand the foundations of, of physics, basically where the laws of physics come from, why they are the way they are, and not 
some other way. Uh, and that's that's what I mainly focus on. Absolutely. UFOs or uh -huh. UAPs. UAPs, we'll call them UAPs. That, well, it's absolutely fascinating stuff. Now, when you look at UF, I know they keep changing on us, right? UAPs. I, I get yelled at all the time from people. Don't call it that. Don't call us, you know, the abductees. Call us contactees. I, I, I have notes over here to remind myself of this stuff. Um, when, when, when what got you interested in studying UFOs and UAPs? We'll start out that way. Yeah, that's <clears throat> that goes a good ways back. I mean, I've always been interested in um, UFOs and UAPs, I, or UFOs especially. Um, when I was, I mean, I was 12 years old in 1977 when Star, Star Wars came out. So mm -hmm. that had a huge impact on me. And of course, Star Trek did too. And um, growing up, and um, I barely remember the moon landings. I was about four years old when um, when Apollo 11 uh, first went to the moon, and I do remember that. And um, so I've always been interested in space and and space travel. And oh. back in, and in, and in 1977, when Star Wars came out, you also had um, the TV show In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy was on, and then he often covered UFO cases, and I always found them fascinating. And um, so I was always interested in the topic. And... Um, and it was mainly when I went to graduate school. I went. I grew up in Wisconsin, and I moved to Montana to go to graduate school in Bozeman, Montana, at Montana State University. And so this is September of 1988. Uh -huh. And there was a – in the first two weeks I was there, there was a cattle mutilation in Bozeman where two cows were killed and um, – and it was a classic, now that I know about cattle mutilations, it was a classic cattle mutilation case. The you know, the skin around the jaw was resected, the tongue was removed, the lips were removed, the ear, the inner ears were removed, the eyes were removed, the sex organs were, were removed, and this was all done with surgical precision. And um, one of them had, one of the cows had a, basically like a core sample, a cylindrical hole punched through it. Um, so just a cylindrical hole missing. I don't know who takes a core sample of a cow and why you would do that. But um, so so that night in Bozeman, there were um, numerous UFO reports in the sheriff's office. So the next day when these two dead cows were discovered, this was all over the news. And of course, people were the news people were all panicked, you know, worrying about aliens and uh, possibly Satanists, right? So these were the, uh -huh. these were the two go-to explanations for this sort of thing. So as a new graduate student there, you know, you're basically, I'm a new PhD student, so I basically signed up for going to school at this place for, you know, four to five years. Uh -huh. And um, me and the other new graduate students were nervously discussing this in the hallway in the physics department. Um, we're just basically trying to figure out what kind of place we just all moved to, right? I've had, I'd never, growing up in Wisconsin, I've heard of cow tipping, but I don't, I've never heard of cattle right. mutilations. And, and cattle mutilations may occur in Wisconsin. I don't know. I haven't really researched the topic, but, um, but so we were very vigorously discussing this in the hallway and, and clearly had disturbed another professor down the hall who came out um, to find out what we were talking about. And he wasn't very reassuring. He listened to what we, you know, what we were talking about. And he goes, yeah, well, this happens from time to time. And 
no one ever really figures it out and and people then forget about it until until it happens again so <laughs> it wasn't very reassuring um but then he said then he added he said um but you know what's really strange is i have friends who work at the um up at malmstrom air force base up in northern montana where they keep the ICBM missiles, our nuclear missiles. And they have problems up there with UFOs flying over our missile sites, shutting down our nuclear missiles. And and to be honest, we listened politely. And when he walked away, we laughed because it just seemed so ridiculous that UFOs could be shutting down our nuclear missiles and nobody would do anything about it or know about it. And at the time, we thought it was funny. And... um. So that became kind of a running joke for us graduate students that year. You know, anytime something strange happened, you know, somebody would add in. But you know, what's really strange is UFOs are shutting down nuclear missiles Mm -hmm. and we would all chuckle. So now fast forward from 1988, um, this was not widely known in 1988. And um, so fast forward to around 2015. So this is about two years before the New York Times article about the ATIP program came out. And I was teaching a course in astronomy, and um, I was going to be giving a few lectures on astrobiology. And I had some students who were interested in hearing about the possibilities of, of intelligent extraterrestrial life and whether they could come to Earth and what that would be like. And, and I didn't really know what to lecture on. So I was kind of just poking around on the Internet just to get ideas. I mean, certainly not looking for information, but, but just to get some idea of what I could talk about. And I stumbled on the press conference that Robert Hastings held uh, in 2010, where he had five or six um, ex-Air Force people talking about UFO incursions at nuclear weapon sites. And I saw that and it caught my eye and I thought, UFOs and nuclear weapon sites, really? Is this for real? And I clicked on it and it was a YouTube video and I watched I watched the talk by Robert Salas first. Robert Salas was at Malmstrom Air Force Base, the same Air Force Base that I had heard about 30 years earlier, right? So that I'd heard about this 30 years ago from a physics professor. So, um, so while I didn't really take much stock in what the professor said at the time, I mean, you know, seeing it in this context made me realize, wait a minute, this has to be real. This has to, this can't be nonsense. You aren't going to have a silly story like this floating around from, uh, from Robert Solis's time, which he was talking about events in 1966. Um, and I heard about it in 1988 as an ongoing problem. And, um, and now if you look into it, you find out it's still an ongoing problem. And so it, it struck me in 2015, it struck me, I thought, my God, we have a big problem here. We have this, we have this, this is happening. You know, this is really happening. You have UFOs shutting down nuclear weapons. Nobody believes it because they all think it's nonsense. So nobody looks into it. Nobody's researching it. We are completely ignorant about the issues. And I thought this is dangerous. I thought this is a dangerous path we're on. And I, and I thought somebody ought to be studying this. And, and, um, so I started looking into it myself. I started reading up on the literature on what is known or what is at least purported to be known. And I started educating myself on what people claim. And um, and it was only two years later that the um, New York Times broke the story with um, about the ATIP program. And that's when I decided, well, yeah, somebody needs to study this. And I, 
why not me? I mean, I'm going to do it. So I decided mm -hmm. to dive in. For people who don't know what the ATIP program is, can you tell us? Yes, the ATIP program was the um, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program that um, ran for something like seven or eight years, mm -hmm. was funded something like $12 million, and they were tasked with um, looking at UAPs, UFOs, and identifying whether there was a threat there. And that's what they were, that's what they were tasked to do. And the fact that this, you know, the fact that this was actually going on and going on in secret and um, was then revealed by the New York Times article, along with the, the disclosure of um, several videos that were taken by the U.S. Navy, um, was rather shocking. It was shocking to find out that, wow, this is actually real. I mean, our government's really looking into this. There's at least some somebody in the government's worried about this. And, and we find out now that the, there's much more concern that it's a much bigger problem. Um, the Navy went on to change its reporting um, regulations so that naval officers and naval pilots can report um, report encounters without fear of being um, ridiculed or, or losing their pilot's license or whatever might happen. Mm -hmm. And um, and the Navy went to Congress and said, look, we're having problems. They, in fact, the, you know, it turns out that they were having, um, around 2015 or so, they were having near daily encounters with these objects. Um, and we were, you know, the USS Roosevelt stationed in the Persian Gulf conducting bombing runs and forays into Syria. Mm -hmm. And they have to fly through U past UFOs <laughs> to get to the to get to the war zone. So you've got pilots who are encountering UFOs on the way to perform a mission and they're flustered. You know, you've got these objects are flying at their planes at 5,000 miles an hour. In one case I heard the, the object came, flew up to the plane and did barrel rolls around the cockpit and then took off. Wow. So you can't have pilots, you know, conducting wartime operations with that going on. I mean, that's right. not, that's really just not, that's a, that's a huge safety hazard. And um, so we became, you know, we, the public became aware that there's some real air safety problems with, um, with what they now more gently call UAPs. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, the, and that name was changed because they were unable to get the attention of anyone in Congress if they use the word UFO. So they came up with a more benign, benign phrase. The, the, the phenomenon's not at all more benign. I mean, these are flying objects. These are flying objects. These are objects that are at times harassing our pilots and, um, and really posing hazards. Well, even during World War I, there were reports on both sides. And, but in, in, in the comments for that, they thought that they were World War One, World War Two, yeah, World War One, yeah. World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam War. This is, and this is the apparently this is seems to be the situation is that the mm -hmm. activity and the aggressiveness of these objects has been, they they do appear in greater numbers during wartime situations, and they have becoming in later years have become more and more aggressive. Um, so it's not clear what they're intentions are what's going on um you know if they're if they are you know one hypothesis is they're trying to get us not to fight um and and 
clearly it's not working. So um, maybe this is why they're becoming more aggressive, but um, this is, you know, there are multiple, there are many hypotheses floating around and I have some of my own. And, and, and so, um, so it's not clear what the situation is. Do you think that the government is already handling this? You know, that, that, that they, they don't worry a lot, a lot more than, than what they're releasing. I think that the information is very compartmentalized, probably across multiple agencies. There is no such thing as the government, right? There's multiple agencies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And these agencies don't always talk to each other well. They don't even play nice together. So, so you know, we often say the government, but that's not really a, a, an accurate statement. Mm -hmm. You've got multiple agencies who have probably had multiple programs studying these things. And these programs are, 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 are classified, so there is no sharing going on. Um, and I think this is what Congress has been trying to fix. Uh -huh. And um, so while some agencies and some programs may have some information, I think in general, that information is just not had by, by all, right? I mean, we don't, uh -huh. you don't have a general idea of what's going on. Uh -huh. I think the situation's rather rather serious myself. I, I was in a meeting once with Lou Elizondo, who was worked on the ATIP program. And we were, it was kind of an ask me anything meeting where, well, that was what it was purported to be with, with a bunch of scientists and some people from the Pentagon. And, um, and, you know, so we could ask any question we wanted, but, but we might not get an answer, right? <laughs> so, so, so we, you know, there were many questions asked. And one of the questions I asked was, all right, how many craft do we have operating in the Earth environment at any given time? Just, just orders of magnitude. Are we dealing with 10 of these objects, 100, 1,000, 10,000? And... Um, they had no idea. And, and in fact, took notes. That's a good question. We don't know. We should find that out. And, and, and um, yeah, they had no idea is what they told us. And so I, you know, that's, that's the level of ignorance we're dealing with. I think that, I think everyone is pretty ignorant about the problem. And I, and I, and, and I don't think anyone actually knows, knows enough to know how serious the problem is. And and so I think this is this level of ignorance is dangerous, and um, the taboo around the topic, you know, that that you know, scientists, serious scientists, wouldn't study such things, or you know, or the government shouldn't be doing these things, wasting money on this stuff. You know, these types of ideas are are um, really work against um, any of us really getting to the bottom of what's actually going on. Uh -huh. Now you mentioned you you, know, you have your theories on, on on what you think is going on and what's happening. Can you share some of those? Yeah, I mean, well, it takes a little background, but um, I have done I have done some work in um, in trying to understand what's possible. So so one of the projects that I took on was simulating um, interstellar travel and colonization. So the, and, I, and I actually gave a talk. Um, at the Max Planck Institute for Plasma Physics at a meeting this summer on the topic. Mm -hmm. um, basically, the idea was to simulate what um, a civilization that was colonizing other star systems would look like. What in, and, and so I was basically running, uh, I ran two million civil, uh, simulations of a civilization that was, that was colonizing other star systems. 
and um, and I had different qualities for each of them so that I could could simulate this, and um, and I wanted to find out what what it took to actually do such a thing. You know, how hard would it be to to colonize other star systems? Now, for us, it would be incredibly difficult. We don't have the, the that technology yet, but. Um, but if you had craft that could accelerate at certain accelerations or travel at certain speeds, or you could spend so much time in a spacecraft, you know, what could you do? Mm-hmm. And that's, those were the questions I was asking. And, and I, so I ran 2 million sim- simulations and kept track of the ones that found Earth. So, so I kept track of who found Earth. And then I went back and I looked at those um, those civilizations to find out what their characteristics were, what what was necessary to find Earth. Now, Earth's hard to find because it's a big galaxy. There's about 300 to 400 billion stars, and um, that's a lot of places to look. So, so yeah, it's not easy to find Earth to start out. Um, so most of these civilizations were from not so far, far away. You know, we're talking about a galaxy that's maybe about 80-some light years across. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the civilizations that found Earth were within 20,000 light years from here. So it's a quarter of the length across the galaxy. So they're from our quad- quadrant, say, um, use Star Trek terminology. <laughs> why, why not? Um, it works. So, um, and, and what was interesting about it was that I found that, you know, most of these civilizations had to be old because it, takes a long time to colonize, you know, multiple star systems. So yeah. some of these civilizations have been around from for 2 million years um, and may up, maybe up to 4 million years. Um, but one of the surprising features I found was that if you looked at the ones who found Earth, you could find out when they found Earth. And it turns out that on average, Earth was originally discovered about... Um, let me remember the exact numbers. It was ba- basically about a quarter of a million years ago, 250,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, so you could statistically say that if we find out that somebody knows about Earth and has been here, then their civilization probably discovered Earth about 250,000 years ago. Wow. Which means they've been here, probably been here the whole time. And that, and that does correspond to what you see when you look through historical records that are on reports of things that look like UFOs. Um, there are Roman reports. There are Roman historical accounts of flying shields over battlefields and things like this. Same sort of thing we see. UFOs showing up during wartime, right? <laughs> right, right, right. In fact, there was a battle, I think it was in Tartantum. In this valley, you had these two, the Roman army was clashing with another army and three flying shields flew low over the battlefield and scared everybody that the battle ended and everybody just ran away. And that's that's Roman history. Um, so, so this has been going on a long time and it's very likely that Earth was found a long time ago. Uh-huh. Now, the the difficulty here is that, that um, if you imagine that you had... A, that Earth was found by some civilization that had been colonizing star systems. And what we mean by colonization can be different for different civilizations. So there could just be research bases here or something like that, or way stations. Um, You find that the Earth probably is well within their domain so that 
they have also they so basically they own us in their minds they own us they we we find ourselves on the other end of the colonization problem and that and that the, in their mind earth might be their planet right they found it it's theirs and that's their thinking um we european descended people should be rather familiar with this idea so um but now we're all, we're all on the business end of this and that might lead to some difficulties because Alpha Centauri also belongs to them <laughs> and all the other Bernard star and all the other nearby stars also all belong to them. Uh, we're well within their domain and that may, we may find out that that's the situation. We don't know what the situation is. We don't know right. out there. But if, that's, but if that's the case, then you have a situation where they could very well believe that earth is their planet. And, um, and humans are, I mean, we all know humans are messing up the planet. There's what, how many billion of us now? And pollution is a problem and climate change is a problem. Our nuclear weapons are a problem. War is a problem. Just turn on the news. Um, we're a problem. And, and this could be how they might eventually have to deal with us in some way. They might be, have been gently trying to nudge us away from, oh, please don't do this, don't do this, but they might be getting more aggressive. We, so this could be why you see some of these behaviors. That's just a hypothesis, we don't know. Um, of course, none of this has really been studied in any detail. Right. They're precious little data um, almost, you know, very hard, very little hard data. So, um, so we're really working from a state of ignorance, but, um, but it is a possibility. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Now, when you think about this, like you say, you know, them keeping an eye on us because, you know, we have the capability to literally destroy ourselves. What about the, uh, you know, the stories about people being, um, contacted, and taken aboard and the hybrids and all that. How do you feel about that? That is um, disturbing, of course, but it's interesting and it's interesting. Um, look, I, at first blush, all of this is hard to believe, right? Right, um, right. So, so it's very difficult. If you look at, you know, you look at um, Professor um, John Mack, Dr. John Mack, who was a Harvard professor who had studied the alien abduction phenomenon starting, uh -huh. I think, back in the 70s. Uh -huh. um, he started studying the phenomenon, thinking that this is potentially an interesting psychiatric phenomenon. Why are all these people think they're being abducted by aliens? And his conclusion was eventually that uh, the answer is simple. They're they think they're being abducted by aliens because they're probably being abducted by aliens. <laughs> and, and so, um, and that's the conclusion he eventually came to. So, um, so that again is very difficult. Uh, we don't have, we don't have physical proof of this. Um, we don't have a lot of physical evidence and, um, and so again, not much is, not much is known. You have the, interview reports of, you know, maybe a thousand people uh -huh. at the John Mack Institute, which are right now being digitized and put into a library at Rice University in Texas. Uh -huh. So a lot of this is being looked at more carefully. Um, but the, but the overwhelming evidence from that 
suggests that yes, this is actually happening, and it's not clear what's going on. It, it, it's 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 and it's all quite puzzling. You have a, you know, there's the, there's of course the popular jokes. You know, you turn watch South Park, and you know what do aliens do when they catch you? Well, there's they it's the anal probe business, right? And then yes. ha, 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 and everybody laughs. But apparently, when you look at the cases, that's not actually what happens. Typically, uh -huh. what they do, and maybe what they do is a little bit more disturbing, they basically take eggs and sperm from people. Right. Yeah. And so this all gets very weird very fast. And, and um, yeah, I don't know what to think about it. Um, it's, it's something that ought to be studied and ought to be looked at. You know, it's easy to sit back and laugh, easy to say, oh, it's nonsense, you know. Right. You just say you don't have time to study. I don't have time for this. I don't need to study that. Well, fine, don't study it, but don't uh -huh. stop people who want to study it. Um, that that's really what needs to happen. Well, I mean, it stems to reason. If they've been coming here, you know, so long, you know, the reports even go back to the Egyptians, right? I mean, it goes way back. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's this is the like one of the first stories of Egypt where. Um, Oh, what's his what's his name? With the with the the silver disc descends from heaven, right? And this is what this is what the sun disc is. The sun disc in Egyptian mythology is the disc that hovered over um, the Egyptian ruler in the, over the Nile, um, mm -hmm. and so and those became the halos. So angel halos are cultural designs that descend from the sun disc, which actually comes from a UFO sighting. So I mean, when you tie this all together, yeah, historically, these things have had a huge impact on, on us. Well, that, that, that's what I mean, you know, when, when I think that it's gone back so far, like you say, it's had this huge impact. Why not? Why, why not hybrids? Why, why not? You know, they've had all this time to interact with us and they're taking tests. They're taking those tests for a reason. Now, is, is it so that they can figure out a way to destroy us faster? You know, throw kind of like in V, throw some kind of chemical down and then we're gone? Or is it that they, they, they've created these hybrids that will be able to take over everything at some point? Well, th these are good questions. The um, and, and there are many more questions that come rather quickly. So first, I don't think, and, and I don't really know of many people who've, who have um, become familiar with this who believe that they are dangerous mm -hmm. or looking to take us over. I mean, if you wanted to take humans over, you don't wait until there's how many ever billion of us now. Um, mm -hmm. You could have done it a long time ago and it would have been far easier. Um, so that clearly isn't, probably isn't the case. Mm -hmm. um, the whole idea of them possibly hybridizing with us that comes from so that comes from the abduction so one of the one of the interesting things about the abduction cases that um, captured my attention that John Mack was able to to identify was that out of 60% about 60% of the people who were abducted by the what described the the gray aliens um they claim that they are given babies to hold. So not only do they, so so the claims are very strange. So they're they're brought aboard a spacecraft, they're experimented on in some way, eggs and sperm taken, um, eggs or sperm taken, not both usually, um, <laughs> and um, and 
then they are, before they're brought home, they are often given babies to hold about 60% of the time. Now that's a strange thing to say, right? If you're if you're if you're making this up, or if you're just or if you're hallucinating this, that's a really bizarre um, thing to come up with. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that this is universal. I mean, you see this in Nepal, you see this in Chicago, you see this in Congo. People all over the planet who claim to have been abducted say the same things. So, and and this isn't widely known, or wasn't at the time widely known. So it's. Mm-hmm it really gives credence to what's going on. And I think that's one of the things that compelled John Mack to realize, no, there's actually something happening here. Now, the problem with this is some of the babies are said to not entirely look human. Um, so one of, one of the things, if you're going to be growing human babies, human babies need human contact. So that that's important for a baby's development. And, um, and so clearly, if they're going to be if they're going to be trying to create their own humans, um, they need to have those humans have human contact. So, mm-hmm. so clearly, that's going to have to happen. And so, and that matches with you know, so that idea matches with what people report. Mm-hmm. What what is strange is that not all of these babies are said to be human. Some of them are said to be hybrids or thought to be half human, half alien, and. That's difficult because the only way you could hybridize with another species is if you're closely related to that species, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You aren't going to have a human, you can't go to the lab and make a human starfish um, hybrid. Um, That's not going to work. Um, So, so genetically, they have to be similar to us. Moreover, you'd also have to have the same type of genetics. You'd have to have this code, your genetic codes, code stored the same way. You'd have to use DNA. Mm-hmm. So these, what we call, what we're calling aliens, would have to have DNA. Um, that's Earth life. Earth life has DNA. It's not clear that other life forms in other star systems are going to even have DNA. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, so that's really strange. And that suggests that there might be something even stranger going on here. Um, these, what we're calling aliens, might not be that unrelated to us in some way. Right. So there's, so, and, and in fact, you can see that this realization has, has hit, um, has changed some of the terminology. If you go back to even looking at some of the congressional reports on when they were starting to look into this, they there were suggestions that some of this is extraterrestrial technology. They would use that term. That term is not used anymore. It's now it's called non-human technology. Oh. Right. It's not clear that they're not from here. And I think is the problem. So it's possible that these you know, what we're calling aliens um, flippantly might actually be from Earth as well as us. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that UFOs have some affinity toward water. Um, mm-hmm. There are often UFOs seen going into water, coming out of water, UFOs seen underwater even, and detected by submarines. So um, it's possible that they live here on Earth. Mm-hmm. So they could be, you could have a case where you've got non-humans, from another planet who discovered earth who are living here on earth underwater maybe some underwater research station or bases or something like this 
Um, mm -hmm. They could be non-humans that evolved here with us, and we just never realized that they were here. So they might actually be from Earth as well, and mm -hmm. we, we didn't know it. Um, that's possible. We're very ignorant about what is in the oceans. And mm -hmm. So that's a possibility. You also have the possibility that they are somehow related to humans. Um, maybe they branched off from humans at a, a very early stage and they're um, some other kind of humans who we had, you know, just haven't had contact with. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, historically, this wouldn't be that far out from uh, things like fairy stories and things like this. Fairy, right, right, right. Fairy, fairies and child abductions and things like this, you know, abducting people. That's all. They're very similar to the UFO stories. So there's some interesting similarities there too. So it's not clear what we're dealing with. And then there's the other hypothesis that they might be humans from the future. Mm -hmm. Could be time traveling humans. So these are time traveling humans that are coming back into time to get um, more diverse DNA or something. Um, you could have that happening. Mm -hmm. So you, again, we again we are sadly entirely ignorant of what's actually going on. And um, and we have these, you know, these little stories that we've kind of little descriptions or stories that we've kind of latched onto so far. You know that these are aliens. They discovered Earth. They, but we we don't actually know that. We don't know what the uh -huh. situation is. Yeah, but don't you think? You know, after all these years, and with all these agencies involved, you know, these government agencies involved, that somebody has to know something. They're just not telling us. Yeah, I, I know. I know that people know things, and um, and I know some scientists who have worked on worked on, like as David Grush said, and I think he's absolutely correct. Um, mm -hmm. We have crash. We have craft in our in our possession that we have worked on. We have um, biological specimens, specimens, or you know, and and that that actually worries me um, because I think there's a bigger question here. The um, if we had a crash, if you had a crash craft, or you have a craft recovery, mm -hmm. um, what if some of these um, beings survived? What happened? Right. To them? Right. Where are right. they? Where are they? Who kept them? I mean, are they? I mean, if they're if they're from another planet, then we've basically got prisoners of war um, because that would be an act of war because <laughs> we we it's not clear that we didn't bring these these UFOs down in some cases. Right. Right. So, that would be an act of war and we might actually have prisoners. And so this is all against the Geneva conventions and, and also, and then morally you worry about these, these beings. I mean, they're, you crash in one of these craft, you're screwed. I mean, you yeah. have, it's, 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 you have no future. There's no hope of going home. It's, and nobody knows you've been captured. And, um, and so, so I think there's bigger questions, and I think these questions are going to eventually come out. And um, and I think that some of these agencies have done things that are illegal and unconstitutional and problematic, and people are afraid of going to jail. I mean, that was one reason why they uh, Congress had put through some laws to give um, give whistleblowers some kind of protection uh, because that you know not telling Congress about this and holding some of these creatures prisoner or whatever they've done, you know, it's clearly illegal and immoral, uh -huh. and um, it's a problem. As a physicist, now, when you think about 
these these aliens, you know, being able to travel from galaxy to galaxy. What type of uh, propulsion are we talking about? I mean, like you say, you, you know, you get Star Trek with the transwarp drive. You know, you got Star Wars with whatever they're using. You know, in, in the movies, what 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 would it take for them to travel? Well, that's a difficult question, and I think that we are, you know, we have many ideas floating around on how you might be able to pull it off using the physics that we know of. But in looking at the behaviors of some of these craft, the physics seems to be entirely foreign in some cases. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's very difficult to say exactly what this, you know, what's possible and what the situation might be. Mm -hmm. Um, could they be warping space-time in some way? That's very, that's, I mean, I, I wouldn't know how to do it. <laughs> and most physicists wouldn't know how to actually pull it off. Um, I know theoretically what needs to happen. Um, but, you know, but that would be one explanation for the very high accelerations. You know, we measure accelerations between, um, you know, in the in the Nimitz case, where you had the the um, Tic Tacs dropping from twenty eight thousand feet to sea level in 0.78 seconds, those accelerations are on the order of five thousand g's, five thousand times the acceleration of gravity. Um, there's nothing your your equipment isn't going to survive that. Your craft isn't going to survive that. Much less any organisms inside. Mm -hmm. So it's not clear how that's possible. Um, but if you had a gravitational acceleration or you were warping space-time, then you, then you might be able to do something like that. Uh -huh. um, so, so that's one possibility. Um, wormholes are another possibility. That's a theoretical possibility that's been probably more discussed and more, um, more prevalent in um, our, you know, our fictional stories and movies uh -huh. um, that are trying to be realistic you know, look into using wormholes. So that's a possibility mm -hmm. there. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to say. Uh, this mm -hmm. is where, this is where as a physicist, I want to collect data and I want to have, uh, you know, good observations of these craft, take lots of measurements, you know, look at the electric and magnetic fields and gravitational fields and see what you can measure and try to get some idea of what's actually going on. And the other thing too, you know, not only are we talking about propulsion systems, we're also talking about materials that these crafts are made out of to do all that traveling. Because I mean, we have to put all that we have to put all that special coating on our space well, on the space shuttles just to get us to, just to get through the atmosphere so it doesn't burn up. Same thing with the space capsules. You know, so I'm going to say space capsules because that's what we're going back to the space capsules. Yeah, well, so, we're going to have them again when we go back to the moon in two years. So yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. So the the there there that that's interesting. Um, so the the one interesting thing that I've learned from people who have apparently worked on the materials that have been recovered and um, is that these um, and Gary Nolan from Stanford has mentioned this as well, and he's he's working to develop instruments to try to study mm -hmm. this is that these guys, whoever these peoples are, are taking materials and they are doping them with different types of isotopes, which is something we don't do. I mean, well, we're right. starting to. 
we have some kinds of technologies that do this uh, that are called spintronics and 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 this sort of thing where you can very carefully control the um, magnetic fields in the in the material okay. using different isotopes but we're just learning how to do this now but apparently this is uh, seems to be a common feature of their materials. Um, you'll find some ceramics will be doped, you know, ceramic type stuff doped with uranium isotopes or something. I mean, weird, weird stuff like this. Uh -huh. So, um, so it's, it's strange. Yeah. And I, and so their materials seem to be very different than, than ours. Their technology is, is, is from the, discussions I've had with people who've looked at different aspects of this, it really appears that their technology is very far more advanced in a lot of, in a lot of ways. So it's. Now getting back to the point that we might have a couple of downships, you know, in our possession or even some, you know, some aliens that, that they're still alive somewhere or they're keeping them somewhere. Do you think that, you know, is it to the extent that maybe, when you look at our technology as as we've started to progress, because, I mean, in the last, what, 15, 20 years, we made a lot of leaps in technology. And do you think that maybe there's a trade-off going on right now? Well, I think it's difficult. I think it's um, – people are clever. We've always been clever. So we've always been good at making technological leaps. You know, whether it was the, whether it was the Egyptians building the pyramids, you know, I, I don't think aliens helped them there. Um, people are clever. They figured it uh -huh. out. And, uh -huh. and, and I, I'll give them the credit for that. And they think they deserve it. Um, but there may be cases where, um, where we have had some technological advances already from, from this type of tech. Uh -huh. The one of the ways of keeping this secret has apparently been to, I mean, you basically break the technology, break the craft up into pieces and you send, you know, this to this agency to study, this to this agency to study, and then it gets classified and, and, and compartmentalized. But the, the best way to handle that, the best way to keep it secret is to send it to a private company. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. So you send some to Lockheed Martin or Boeing or somebody, I'm just naming these randomly. I don't actually know. Right, right, right. Um, so you send these to private companies, and then then the um, then what they learn becomes proprietary, and so you can't FOIA it from the government. You can't get that information back. That belongs to the company. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that I think um, Congress is dealing with right now and trying to figure out how. There was part of that was some of the discussion in the latest congressional hearing is what companies got equip got materials, and mm -hmm. David Rush, um, it might have been AOC who had asked that and question. Mm -hmm. It was a very good question, and and David Rush said that he would get her a list. <laughs> he would give her a list of the companies that were given materials, and so you know Congress is now looking into how can they get this information back. I mean how. How does the rest of us learn what other people have learned from this? But it's a great, but it's a great way to keep it secret. I mean, you just you just you just spread it all out, compartmentalize it, so anybody who knows anything just knows one tiny piece, so they can't right. tell the whole story. So there's no big story to tell. Do you think that the the population 
in the U.S. We'll just look at the U.S. Do you think that they're ready for disclosure? That people are ready for this, or maybe that's why the that's why the the powers that be aren't releasing this stuff because they're afraid of that people will panic. It depends on what is going to be disclosed or what has to be disclosed. Um, I think that from my experience, most people don't seem to have the bandwidth for it. Mm -hmm. And um, you can put, you can put David Grush on the stand and have him testify that they have crash craft and alien bodies and Mm -hmm. the news barely picks it up. Mm -hmm. Nobody, nobody cares. Um, I think because we're just being bombarded, very often we're being bombarded by nonsense um, from our own political system. There's a lot of nonsense going on, a lot of stupidity. And I think people are just saturated at this point. So so I think aliens, whatever, whatever, I got stuff to do. You know, I think that's what's really going on. Um, But I think that it's, you know, so I think originally the fear was that people would panic. Um, that hasn't happened, and that's not happening, and people just don't care is what seems to be happening. But I think that we really haven't gotten a consistent story yet or a solid story yet from anybody. And I think that when that happens, then the situation might change. And it might actually depend very much on what needs to be disclosed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Another thing that, you know, if people are actually being abducted and experimented on, that might make people panic, um, right. you know, depending on what's happening to them or, or how many people are being abducted. I don't, uh-huh. think, that's, I don't think that's even known. Uh-huh. I mean, I've heard, I've heard estimates. I've, I've asked around people who have had some familiarity with this. How many people do you think are abducted a year? And I've heard people say, well, Globally, from between 10,000 to 3 million is the estimates I've heard. I mean, wow. 10,000 is a lot. That's I mean, but if it's 3 million, that's crazy. And then it's a, you know, so again, we don't know how many craft are, hap- are operating in Earth environment anytime. We don't know. We don't know anything. I don't think, and I don't think anyone actually does. I don't think anybody has those numbers. Well, see, the other thing I have when you talk about the, amount of people, the number of people, the th- theoretical number of people that are being taken. Well, that's a lot of high, that's a, that's a lot of hybrid babies kind of, you know, be, being made. Let's just say it that way. Why? And why? And you got to, so right. then you gotta, now you got to worry why, what, what does this mean? And what are they doing with them? And what, what is the purpose? And um, are they being used for slave labor on Proxima Centuri? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? I mean, we don't actually know. And I think. But see. No, I'm seeing a lot of things out there that are truly hypothetical, and and I'm just right, 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 top of my head. And so I want to be clear because I'm a scientist, but right, but the fact is we don't actually know what's happening, and we right. we do know that there is something going on. This something is weird and it's unusual and unexpected, but we don't know the details. And the other thought I had along that line was, for all we know, because because they've been here for a long time. Okay, I mean that's the theory they've been here. For all we know, this is all done so that disclosure, when it happens, it could be your neighbor across the street and you don't know it. You end up what, finding out that, that your neighbor's a hybrid. You know, that, that, that yeah, they're already yeah, living yeah, like well, here. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't, yeah, we don't know what the situation Yeah, we don't know what the situation is. And yeah. could, that, could that cause panic? Yeah, it most certainly could cause panic depending on what the situation is. It depends on how 
depends on what we know about what's going on. Um, if it's just there are aliens visiting Earth, if that's the message that gets, you know, released and revealed and that's all that's known, I think most people just mostly shrug it off, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. doesn't affect me. So I think that that's going to be fine. But I think if it's if it's a more difficult message that could cause problems. What do you hope happens? I hope that there is some kind of disclosure. I think that um, people need to know what's going on. I think that you've got a you've got a long history now, 80 years plus of people who have seen these objects in the sky, who've lived their lives with ridicule or feeling ashamed about having seen these. And, 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 you know, and be honest, they're owed, at this point, they're owed some kind of apology um, mm -hmm. because they were right. <laughs> and, and I think at some point we're going to have to deal with that. Um, mm -hmm. So let's say, you know, we don't still don't have evidence, you know, like on the order of, of actually seeing crash craft or bodies. So we don't actually know this yet. Um, but if David Grush is correct in what he's saying is correct, if that's the situation, then uh, then people are owed an apology. They're owed an apology from, from the authorities. They're owed an apology from scientists who didn't see this coming or didn't even think about it or thought it was nonsense. And I think that there needs to be some kind of reckoning. And why did the people in charge all get this wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, that's got to happen at some point and, um, and probably won't, but <laughs> because that's how things work. <laughs> Nobody wants to be held accountable for what they did wrong. Right. So, so, but, um, and then you've got, then let's say that there have been people who have been abducted. You know, those people need some kind of apology too. I mean, these people have been living with trauma. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, and, and those events are traumatic. And um, John Mack recognized that and talks about that. And um, those people need some kind of support and assistance and, and, and security. And I think that's important, too. So I would like to see those things all happen. I would like to know what the situation is. Uh -huh. um, am I going to be comfortable with the situation when I find out what it is? I have no idea. Um, it could be benign. It could be incredibly uncomfortable. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I think we're, I, I'd like to think that it's always better knowing um, than, than just being ignorant. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Sarah, it's been a fun hour talking to you. I've learned so much. This has been great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Absolutely great. I hope I didn't pick your brain too much and irritate you, but I mean, no, no, not at all. I mean, these are, these are, they're all important questions, I think. And I think there are questions we've not, we're afraid to ask and we're afraid to talk about the possibilities. And I think that, you know, and, and as a scientist, I, I, yeah, I sometimes worry about talking about this and worrying about what my colleagues are going to think. But the fact is that we have not studied this topic. Mm -hmm. it, we really don't know what the situation is. And I don't think that Anybody who claims that, oh, I'm sure it's all nonsense. They're all balloons. They're all that. No, that's wrong. We know that that's wrong. And uh -huh. we know that it's not that simple. Uh -huh. There's something interesting happening here. There's something possibly important happening here. There's certainly flight hazards. Um, uh -huh. And so something has to be done. And, and I think that it's important to do it. How can people find you, sir? Email our, my website. Um, I'm at the University at Albany. I'm a physics professor there. And so you can find me on my university website. 
Okay, fair enough. Thank you so much for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. I learned so much. Love Thank to get you on uh, later on down the line and talk to you some more about this. I would love it. I would love it, especially if I knew more. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, sounds great. You have a great rest of your evening, sir. Thank you. You too. Have a good night. Okay. Have a good night. Wow. Boy, that was some great information. That, that's something to sleep on tonight and chew on, right? Uh, tomorrow, like I tell you guys, I'm a journalist, photojournalist. It's what I do. I used to cover a crime. I covered a crime beat for five years. And uh, I heard this woman's story on another show. It was a fascinating story. Her name is Monique Fison Ross. And she had been in a domestic fight. And the, 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 her husband had tried to kill her. He was going to murder her. And she played dead. And she's written this great book about it. And we're going to be talking to her about it. So that'll be tomorrow, usual time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. So I hope you guys are, are going to be here for that because it's a really, really deep, touching story of, of how she, how, she how, how literally how she played dead to avoid him killing her. All right? All right. Well, I want to thank you all for coming tonight. Again, I'll be back at 6.30 p.m. Pacific tomorrow for Monique Fison ross It should be an interesting night for that as well. I will see you guys tomorrow, and I will share his uh, – he, he does have another website. So I'll share his website with you guys, and you can look him up. And, uh, yeah, so here we go. Again, when is it coming up? It's going to be one of those days. There it goes. Okay, again, he's with that – like he said, he's with the university, but there's also a site called newthlab.org, K-N-U-T-H. Lablab.org. All right, really quick before you go, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. So we're just trying to get the word out about our show. And like I said, I'm I'm trying to just push, push, push to get more subscribers by Christmas. By Christmas, maybe hit that thousand mark. All right, all right. Again, I'll see you tomorrow, 6:30 p.m. Pacific. Have a great evening, everybody.